0: This episode of MBSing is proudly supported by Simplecast. Simplecast makes podcasting easy, affordable, and downright friendly. Use the promo code CHICAGO to get 50% off your first three months. Welcome to MBSing. I'm your host, Mary Beth Smith. My guest today is Chels Harvey, and they talked to me about their love of WB TV shows, specifically of the 90s. It's certainly the way that we just kind of chose to frame this conversation. Mostly, it's about how much they escaped into the television that they consumed as a child and the ways that that has continued to kind of color their lives as an adult and how much kind of emotional work the TV shows in their world had to do for Chills and how that has factored into their personal life, their professional life, and their creative life. And I think... That TV nuts will certainly find a lot to love about this episode, specifically fans of Felicity, of Gilmore Girls, of name other popular television shows that incorporated people playing teenagers even though they were in their 20s and 30s. That's pretty much the genre, if like the title could have been that long. I think that's maybe how we should have framed it. (laughs) But it was a great conversation. I'm really glad that I got to talk to Chelsea about their love of all this. And I would encourage you to check out their show, Sell Me a Pup, which plays on the popular phrase, Sell Me a Dog, which is... uh, synonymous with lies that breeders tell about their dogs in order to more easily get people to buy them. So they bring comics and improvisers on their show to review uh, pop culture that they're making up everything that they're talking about. Uh, So they're selling you on pop culture in a fake way, which sounds delightful to me. And I think you should check it out. Something else that seems like a Delightful endeavor for this very weekend is that on Saturday night at 7 o'clock, the Nerdalogs will be celebrating the release of a brand new album that comes out this Friday, March 9th. It's called Endless School Year. It's a bit of a best of of sorts. It's got music. It's got sketches. It's got so much to offer. And if you really really want to celebrate the release of this thing, then on Saturday you can come to 1917 North Elston in Chicago to see us perform the whole album live and to have a bit of a a party time, party time with us afterwards. Should be a very good time. Come by for music and laughs and camaraderie. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy my conversation with Chills.
1: So I'll tell you first what I planned to do today. Um, And then I'll tell you what I actually did. Because my plan, I woke up at 6 o'clock... Damn. Yeah, I don't know why. It's just, I've been, just been doing that lately. And I was like, I'm going to go to the gym and then I'm going to go to um, Mariana's. I'm going to get food. I'm gonna, I had like this whole plan and um, I just stayed at my house. <laughs> <laughs> I did not do any of that. I read a little. I took my dog on a long walk. Nice. I did it. it was just like a really nice, easy going Sunday. It still sounds like a good yeah. day. It even was good. Though yeah. You put your plans aside. <laughs> well, I woke up at six and I was like, I'm going to go to the gym, blah, blah, blah. I went back to sleep. <laughs> yeah, I went back to sleep. Um, <laughs> So, I don't know. That- I actually
0: woke up and read today for the first time in a
1: Whoa. while, and
0: I don't know what got into me, but it was a nice way to start the day.
1: <laughs> wow. <laughs> been trying to read what more. What have you been reading?
0: Uh, I actually uh, was laughing because the two books that I had been alternating between were by John Ronson who is a nonfiction author who I think his most well-known work is The Psychopath Test. Oh, yeah. The book I was reading was called So You've Been Publicly Shamed.
1: I've heard of this. And I
0: actually just finished it today. It's a super good read and really explores the history of shaming and uh, how much it's changed from uh being online versus being offline.
1: Yeah, like with stones and th- <laughs> Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. And it's one of the more fascinating things he says is like it's interesting people stopped public shamings because they found that crowds were getting too unruly. Yeah. That's why it stopped. It's not yeah. because they decided it was, you know, in- inhumane. Yeah. It's because people were getting too out of hand. Wow. So, that's what I just finished reading. And then the other book I'm reading is by uh, John Green, who is a young adult <laughs> <laughs> author.
1: <laughs> that's really funny because uh, I I will get into John Green later, actually. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's a weird way to dis- – I'm going to talk about John Green. I'm that, not going to get inside of John Green. Oh, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, I will get into John Green later <laughs> at some point in my life. Uh, no, later on, I will get all up in that. <laughs> yes. Well, so it's just a relation. There's like a like a small relationship between the thing I'm going to talk that about is interesting. Yeah. I'm already a <laughs> book. Board. What I have abundance been reading really
0: Turtles All the Way Down. I just finished abundance of Catherine's. Uh I was I had, like, checked it out from the library, so I had to finish that first, but I own a copy of Turtles All the Way Down, and I just started it. I've
1: never read that one.
0: It's his newest. Yeah, Yeah. it's very, very new. It came out towards the end of last year. I asked for it for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's incredible. (laughs) I really like his books. I think they're super good. Uh, YA is really great. Um, What is that book that is about the little gay kid? Um, I read it on a flight um, to L.A. Not to L.A., to um, Las Vegas, and it was, like, so incredible. Oh, I'll Give You the Sun. I'll Give You the Sun? By Jandy Nelson. <laughs> you should read it. All right. It's, it, like, I cried on a flight to a job, like, with, a, with my boss next to me. My boss, who was super, super mean, like, yelled at me in, confer- like, glass conference rooms and, like, uh, the walls would shake. Like, no.
0: Like, really bad.
1: Yeah, really mean guy. This was, like, my first... Uh, six months in Chicago, I had this job and this guy was brutally just like checked out of being a compassionate person, if that makes sense. It does make sense. And I'm sorry that you had that
0: experience. <laughs> but now but this It book. really makes me a hard one to read. <laughs> I'll give you the sun. Yeah. I love reading young adult books and I, I can't quite put my finger on why, but I think part of it is that they have a very empathetic nature just mm-hmm. because being a young adult is so fucking hard that I think it's authors really want to like help young people yeah. understand and empathize with the world.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know where I was reading about this or someone pointed this out to me at one point, but it's so interesting to go back and read books that are from the perspective or supposed to be from the perspective of like a child or of like someone who's you know coming of age because they're, it's it's conceptualizing things that you as a child could not put words to yeah. from an adult's perspective. So in some ways it can like allow you to readdress trauma that you experienced. That's really interesting. It doesn't it doesn't surprise me. And
0: I think John Green has a really specific gift of writing like precocious young yeah. people. And tr- really trying to put into words what their thought processes were yeah. as, as young people or what our thought processes were as yeah. young people, I guess. I
1: have I have like a side tangent that's related to this, but I was thinking about this on the way over because I was, I was going through on my phone the list of TV shows that were on the WB um, between like 1998 and like 2003. And um, <clears throat> I was like looking at some that I had watched And thinking like, oh, did I ever or did I just watch like adverts for that when I was waiting for another show to come on? Yeah. And then I was thinking to myself, like, do you ever think about how funny it is that like describing a television show or a book to someone who's never read it is kind of a form of oral history. Oh, wow. Because yeah. if No one ever reads that book again. That person just has this weird memory of like, I think that the show Tarzan on the WB was literally about Tarzan, but I think it was also about teenagers. I'm not sure. <laughs> like, do you ever think I just was like, oh, my God, it's so bizarre. How we like carry around these like half dream? I don't know about like I just have things I watched as a kid that I go back to and I'm like, that wasn't the plot of that at all. I just like mixed that with a weird dream I had and you know I do that with actors and
0: actresses a lot where <laughs> I'll be oh my God. like, you know of Gerard Butler when he was Jeffrey Dean Morgan in that one thing. Like <laughs> Oh my God. I just like cross all their movies and there's one other guy who oh Clive Owen like I think all of them are basically the Those same three
1: are the same person they're the same <laughs> so, they're all yeah
0: wow like it yeah. just I can't so to me my oral history of those three actors it's just mm-hmm. one Mishes line yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> there was uh, an SNL bit that was about like the mom translator do you remember this it was like uh, big translating way, yeah. like like when someone's mom would say like oh you know that uh, lady with the mm, I don't know the dark hair <laughs> yeah. she's funny and then it's like it's like uh, Whoopi Goldberg or something exactly like I my mom would always say uh, Jake Jahuganel instead of Jake Juhuganel. Gyllenhaal yeah I don't know it sounds like a who like truly it sounds like something like related to the Grinch. I think Pete Holmes, uh, <laughs> regardless of how you feel about him, Crashing. has one of the
0: be-all-and-all jokes where that is concerned, which is, my mom told me recently she was going to a concert of her favorite singer, Salon Dijon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my God. And so he just goes
0: off on a whole thing about how she referred to Celine Dion as that's, Salon Dijon, that's her a- favorite singer, Salon <laughs> Dijon. Oh, and it's just great. like the quintessential... Uh, that's such a momism. It is. Uh, I'm glad we already veered into Pop the culture. world of...
1: <laughs> I mean, you even already toe-dipped in WB shows. To a toe into the WB. Uh-huh.
0: So my guest today is Chills Harvey, and we are going to talk about the WB. <laughs> Most specifically, '90s WB TV. I think the the young adult uh, novels really brought us into this too, because there's something to be said for how much it was a part of your
1: well, and also that's so a so really sp- interesting point because a lot of the TV shows that were on the WB in the 90s were about, they were, they were teen dramas, right? And so in a way, they were a kind of young adult uh, genre of television. I had the same thought. Yeah, that's so you, interesting. When you brought up
0: WB uh, during the YA uh, <laughs> consideration, yeah. Because I was like, man, there really is a lot there. Yeah. It, 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 seemed, it was a lot of people in high school and going through things that you didn't understand. Well,
1: especially because it was always like, there was like the basic, the basic plot of like, these are teenagers, they're going to school, um, maybe they're having problems with their family, whatever. But then there was this other element. Yeah. like Especially for like the sci-fi shows like Roswell or Buffy where it was like, And they're going to save the world. (laughs) And they're a pregnant alien. Like like it adds just like a little extra something. It's so strange. I don't know who. It's like I'm very interested in who these writers were. I remember at one point in time I would like follow them on IMDB and try to figure out what else they had done. Because it's such a specific like Well, and then you've got, like, Gilmore Girls or Felicity, which was this, like, I consider them, even though they weren't on the, they didn't cross paths in terms of being on the air at the same time, they're about, like, the same thing, which is, like, you know, relationships around someone going through school. Gotcha. Like, a teenager going through school. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and, oh, another reason why I was thinking about this whole oral histories thing is, like, I feel like I've had to explain the plot of the show Felicity to, like, a hundred different people in my life. Do you know the plot of the show Felicity?
0: <sighs> no, not specifically. Do you know
1: anything about the show Felicity? Keri Russell. Kerry Russell.
0: End of list, probably.
1: And what? End Th- of list? I think that's okay. the end of the list. Anything about the haircut? Oh sure, Carrie
0: Russell had real tight curls, but then at some point she cut her hair, and like the show jumps the shark
1: or something. I don't know. (laughs) So it's very interesting because um, there's this kind of like myth um, that surrounds the show that even if you don't know anything about it, you know about the haircut. There's the episode, and you don't know the, this, but it's in the second season, the first episode, um, she cuts her hair and she like starts a new lot on life because she's just been dumped and, and she cut her hair and blah, blah, blah. So um, ratings dropped, like plummeted and people blamed it on the haircut. Like um, Wow. In pop culture, like there's jokes, I mean, even on the show Gilmore Girls, which is on the WB, there is a joke about Rory cutting her hair and, be, and, and making pulling a Felicity which is Damn. so interesting that it's within this like universe of itself right? But that's so Gilmore Girls I <laughs> I, I've never
0: f- watched a ton of that show yeah. but I have a Good enough understanding Sense, yeah. of it that yeah. it's people talking
1: fast <laughs> and referencing other things. I find, uh, I, I I disagree. Take heed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't know. I love. I I could talk about Gilmore Girls for. I have talked about Gilmore Girls for hours <laughs> to people who've never seen it. It's yeah. so bizarre because it's like hard to explain that it's it's it it's so smart. But it's interesting too because there's a scene. Um, Kelly Bishop plays the grandmother, and there's a scene in I think season four where. Um, Rory has just come back from traveling, I think, and she's about to go to Yale. Um, and her grandmother wants her to spend time, she wants Rory to spend time with her. And so she brings um, Alexis Bladell over to her house to um, have dinner. And then, just kind of to spite the mom, Lauren Graham, because this is like an intergenerational family mm-hmm. it's a grandmother, a mom, and then a daughter. The grandmother um, brings Alexis Spladell over and then is like, oh, we should watch, like, I've been watching these um, recordings. You know, I've been VCA, VHSing uh, the recordings of, like, these dancers or, like, Olympic dancers or whatever. And um, there's, like, there's this kind of callback to um, – because the grandmother's, like, really interested in dance. And um, – She actually played, I think, the mom in Dirty Dancing. Oh, so they do that on purpose. Shit, hilarious! And then later, at one point in the show, Lorelai—this is like a whole other topic. I'm so intrigued by like the discussion of or like the immersion of technology through these shows. Yeah, there is an episode where Lorelai purchases a DVD player for her mom, and it's like this big thing because mom's like, "I don't need this. Like, I well, technology." and all of the DVDs that she buys for her mother are um dancing movies, which is again a call out to the fact that Kelly Bishop was the mom in that's Dirty Dancing. so I think. funny. I heard this on like a DVD extra commentary thing and just totally internalized it as a child. That's I was like, so oh, that's a piece of funny. information I can tell everyone and be smart about. <laughs> like very strange. What was Felicity the origin of all this? Oh my god. Okay. I'm so glad you asked. Mm. So um <laughs> Yes. Um, This is amazing because I feel like I've told this story to other people, but I'm very, I don't know, I like to talk about it. But now you get to talk about it. I get my own hour. Yeah, this is great. It's usually, yeah, no, people don't want to hear it. Sometimes if people
0: can't come up with a topic for the show, I will say, okay, what's something that you talk about so much that the people around you don't want you to talk about it anymore?
1: (laughs) This is it. Because it's television in general, but specifically. So, When I was um, like 12 or 13, um, my mom purchased a lot. This was in the era of the TV show on DVDs Mm -hmm. um, and they were like 50 bucks a season. So it was like very expensive, kind Mm -hmm. of like a like a like a luxurious purchase. But my mom loved TV, too, I think, and would buy these random... She would just pick a TV show we'd never seen and buy, like, three seasons of it. Wow. Which was, like, confusing in some ways because we'd get to the end of it and kind of be like, oh, uh, should we we finish the show? (laughs) Like, I don't know. Um, (laughs) But her and my brother watched, of all things, The O.C. That was the first... Yeah.
0: That's one of the first appointment viewing shows for me ever in my life. Yeah. That was my show. I had to watch it every week.
1: You were a Seth Cohen?
0: I was... I was... The girl who was more into Benjamin McKenzie, but should have been <laughs> into Seth Cohen, yeah, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's absolutely my type. In reality, but I just like something look about at those saucy bad boy <laughs> was like
1: Give something me that. about all the punching, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, you know what I love about I rich want the kids. guy from Chino, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the one who stole a car. <laughs> yeah, I love that scene where he, he takes a drag of the cigarette and she's like, "Who are you?" And he's like, "Whoever you want me to be." Oh <laughs> yeah. it's like I don't know. There's something about that. Watching that with my mom was weird. Yeah, uh, I watched
0: it with my mom,
1: yeah. but we never acknowledged the... The weirdness? Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, that show in and of itself was kind... It was on Fox, Mm -hmm. so it was not a WB show, but I kind of lumped that in because Mm -hmm. it's also about these intergenerational... What's interesting about these shows, too, is they give you the parents or the grandparents to give something for the parents (laughs) to watch, right? (laughs) And then the kids are really interested in, like, the because I remember my mom and I would watch The O.C. and we were always more interested in Sandy and Kirsten's plot lines. Yeah. Way more interested in those. Dude, I developed like such a big weird crush for Peter Gallagher during that time in my life. (laughs) I, I, I mean, if I had a, quarter for every time I've said the phrase Peter Gallagher eyebrows <laughs> to describe a girl's eyebrows that I was into I would have a lot of quarters that's so hilarious yeah. <laughs> that's so funny but no I also I mean he was so good in that show I thought so too so yeah yeah I thought so too because there were elements Simon of that were Baker was good, good. Too. like Simon Baker which one was that uh he is uh Misha Barton's dead. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hercules. Yeah. Yeah. That's all, I,
0: that's all I could hear when he talked. Hilarious. Hercules. God, when I, I always that. forget that. I think that's one of those things that I found out eventually and it blew my mind.
1: I, yeah. I just remember every time he spoke, I, I have a thing for I, I can identify people's voices. That's and amazing. if I'm watching a movie and it's like somebody, they look a little different, I'll be like, oh, no, wait. Nah, that guy yeah. did whatever. But yeah, so I think I was just like... Hercules. I think that always made Orange is the New Black card, because that
0: one woman is Patty Mayonnaise slash like a bunch of different cartoons, and I'm always like, What's Patty
1: Mayonnaise oh doing my in God. jail?
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, um, and then uh, uh, Meg from um, yes from Hercules was also the the coach in do you remember the Disney Channel original movie with America Ferreira? Yes I think it was called it? Si si yes <laughs> uh, Wow I'm I so the movie- thankful for this moment between us. <laughs> I think the movie is called something
0: else, but the biggest like Cheer from the movie Cise puede. is Cise Puede, yeah. so we're not gonna yeah. be able to. Think no, of I don't know the it's name of that It's called like movie? Cheer It Up. It has like a real <laughs> generic name. It up.
1: No, that's that not right. might be it. Is that the name of the movie? I just remember again the adverts for it, where they're saying Cise Cise Puede. Cise. <laughs> and the coach, the coach is Meg <laughs> from Hercules, which is just like one of those crazy. So, like as a kid, I paid attention to all of this, yeah, and it was totally useless information. I remember everyone around me being like, "What are you talking about?" I was watching Mad Men the the eighth grade why Ooh. i was just like this is cool this is an interesting thing none of my friends will enjoy so <laughs>
0: like, i would i'm
1: yeah i just was like oh i, I love to be special and unique <laughs>
0: like, so funny yeah
1: it was a bizarre yeah so the oc was kind of was a the gateway, gateway but, I, but it was part of this whole other thing where every summer um Cause like my mom was a single mom, super busy, um, but she was able to work from home during the summers. And then my brother was always like at band practice or some sort of sport or whatever. But like the thing that brought us all together was TV. And it's (laughs) because I guess this is a much more interesting origin story. I was really obsessed with The West Wing when I was in, I think, the fifth grade. I was wow. like 11 or 12. But the reason for that is weirder. It was that I started listening to Wicked and I had a big crush on um, Kristen, um, What is her name? Uh, Kristen Chenoweth. Yeah, yeah. And she's in one episode of The West Wing. So I Holy begged my mom to shit. purchase the DVD boxes of The West Wing so that I could get to the seventh season and watch the one episode. Like, it doesn't... So did you watch through the whole show before yes. you got to Christian Channel, Yes. The west wing It is wild. Fifth grade I was driven I was oh driven my by my desire. God. <laughs> I don't know. It's that's weird. like why shows get guest stars is to try to get <laughs> people to like kind of trick if,
0: people into watching them. I
1: don't know if somebody knew along the way that they were going to be enabling this like twelve year old's little gay crush. That is fascinating. <laughs> I know I, it's embarrassing. It's, I shouldn't have shared that. Oh no, that
0: is. <laughs> but so the DVD is good I don't, morsel. I,
1: I thought about this when I was talking about the. <laughs> OC, I don't think it started with that. I think it started with me wanting the DVD copies of the West Wing. Then we moved into the OC, which we all watched together. And so what would happen is during the day, we would, my mom would come downstairs and watch a couple episodes with us. And then at night we would watch, like, we would binge watch. This was before Netflix, right? We would binge watch. Like we would watch so many episodes. We would end up watching the entire series over a summer. So there are summers that I have in my life that are carved out as like the Felicity summer, the OC summer. And my mom made me watch Felicity, The um, summer before I went to high school because she was like, I think this will be really helpful for you. That's Um, so funny. Which is funny because the show is about a girl. um, uh, Ultimately, it's about a girl who decides not to go to the college that her parents want her to go to. She goes um, to New York to she was going to be pre-med, but she becomes an artist and like kind of explores her creative side. But the real premise and how they got people to watch the show was that it was a love triangle between her and these two hot guys. One of them she went to high school with, and she grew like kind of obsessed with him. So then she decided spur of the moment to follow him to New York. Mm. But then of course she tells him like, "Hey, I followed you because I'm obsessed with you," and he's like, "That's really creepy." And then they just have that's the whole that's like season that's like episode one. Whoa! And then the whole the rest of it is like her being at college and like figuring herself out. That's
0: essentially. The same as the every other Crazy show? Ex-Girlfriend pilot. Yes.
1: Yeah, it's like yes, borderline the same. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, but except that that woman is like in her late twenties, early thirties, right? So she yeah. should know better. It's
0: basically like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but if instead of going to college, <laughs> it was quitting her job, job and yeah. moving. No, no, she had a good job. It was just like high strong like high profile. High stress. Yeah. I watched
1: the first couple episodes of that.
0: Yeah, uh, I like it because it's an original musical. Like they're they they don't make television origin. They don't make very many original musicals. Uh, period for for film and TV. Yeah. But uh, it's it's uh, it's not a perfect show. But I like a lot about it, and mostly it's because they can do a bunch of cool shit with music. But yeah. I never, because I'm not that familiar with Felicity, I wouldn't have made the connection. But to me, it's like, I mean, you don't, f- he doesn't find out in the pilot that that's like, right. he bas- she they basically lies to him for yeah. a while. Yeah.
1: Well, and I think that show is a little bit more aware of itself. What's interesting about Felicity, because I feel like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is like, it's described often as like a feminist show. Sure. Or like it's considered, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so Felicity was like kind of an enigma because it was like a... Um, Feminist show that was wrapped around or like inside of this, like <laughs> typical because the whole I just like fit, I just, <laughs> yeah. I just like fisted like, myself, you know, yeah. wrapped around <laughs> a big fist that was inside, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, but because the whole plot was like a love triangle, but then, um, the actual like premise of the show was like this young girl figures out that she doesn't have to do everything her parents told her to do, and it's, it's, um what is her name? I want not know. Carrie Russell is like so incredible in the role, and like um, Scott Foley is like one of the love interests, and this guy Scott Speedman who's only ever been in like um, some some awful sci-fi movie that was where he was like a wolf um, creature. I it, it, I can't remember the name. Look it up, uh, Scott Speedman. Um, I saw him in a coffee shop once and I freaked out and acted like a total lunatic and sat next to him and like took a selfie and then he immediately (gasps) left. Oh my God. But I did it for my mom. I did it to text my mom. so funny. I know. Cause I asked, I was like, can I sit here? And he was like, what? (laughs) what? (laughs) Cause you would never ask someone that other than if they were famous and a person you're obsessed with. But so my whole childhood is shaped around watching these WB shows and it Shaped who I am as a person. Yeah. Which is weird in a lot of ways. Like, I learned everything about human people from tv shows which were written by human people but are certainly not always reliable in terms of understanding human people of course yeah
0: especially as a young person viewing them as as real
1: yeah Yeah. as like
0: you know uh, anthologies that you just had to make your way through
1: yes no exactly and then over the course of time as i've gotten closer to people i've always been like oh if you really want to well not anymore but as like a teenager and like going into college i was like if you really want to understand me you should watch like all of this, the episodes of, or like, just here's a special episode of Felicity that would explain why I'm doing this or why my emotions are this way. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. So. It doesn't surprise me though
0: that all those things felt like how to understand the world, <laughs> you know. Well, Especially since so much of it is built on interpersonal relationships and, like, it's what gets you into the show in the first place is understanding and unpacking all of that. So, yeah.
1: I think, too, that there was this weird element of it that my mom would bring home these DVDs and then she was at work most of the time, like, even during the summer. And my brother would, like kind of he doesn't really like to watch tv or anything like that so we would sort of have these moments of bonding but most of the time it was me sitting alone in my house watching these dvds and like my family and i don't talk anymore we're not close but like over time as that kind of rift was created i think i just really sought comfort from these tv shows sure and so i would watch to try to understand other people and it was like this really unhealthy thing of like these are my friends <laughs> Um, which I think a lot of people have, and I, I was fully aware of what it was because I also had real human friends. But it was like I would return, and I still, I mean, if I'm like having a bad day or something, I'll go home and I'll watch like four episodes of Gilmore Girls. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, which I, I think
0: I I don't think I ever had those. I don't think I was self aware enough as a young person to realize that's what I was doing, but I definitely had an element of that. But my my drugs were like Nickelodeon and Disney, like everything I think skewed a little younger. Yeah, and then the stuff I think that's why OC felt like my one of my gateway shows because uh, I'm a few years older than you are, so that show didn't start until I was approaching at least yeah. uh, high you school ages. That, yeah. yeah, I mean, I remember watching it while I was in high school and uh, that being an interesting aspect of it in and yeah. of itself. But before that, I really I don't think I had that many friends and I do think <laughs> I watched like a shitload of TV as I didn't a result. I not that many friends. <laughs> and I think so much of why I still want to be uh performer is because of things like that is because it got ingrained in me to like laugh along with keenan and kill instead of being bummed out that like i didn't feel like i had friends (laughs)
1: yeah yeah no no it was a fictional world you could literally escape into and you knew all the characters Mm -hmm. you knew all the gags yeah, and that's an interesting thing, too, to be watching this while you're of that age. Because, like, let's keep in mind, too, that all of these DVDs were of things that were either no longer on the air. Like, I couldn't even watch them live. Or I was watching earlier seasons of things that were, like, way into, like, Gilmore Girls was in, like, season four or five when I started watching it. Yeah, sure. And so there was this re- weird dissonance where I'd watch, like, I would, my mom was watching them while they were happening. But I was in season one or two or three. And then I would um, catch an episode while, and it was, like, this really big Bizarre dissonance of like, Rory's at Yale. What's like? <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, <laughs> was like, Rory's still no. in high school. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Like, like putting my fingers in my ears, just like no, 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 no. That's so, <laughs> so funny. Yeah, but it was like so that would at times like break the realism of the universe. But right. it is interesting that like, it. I think for me it was more like I was studying these characters because I was younger than them. Right. I was like, oh, like, like I didn't understand the elements of the OC that involved like drugs and parties and drinking because I was like, I don't even know what the danger in that. I don't right. What are they drinking? Like it's so, so it was just like this weird. What's in those cups Yeah. Or like there were so <laughs> many episodes of Felicity that were about like like really deep shit. Like uh there's one episode where one of the characters who has never she's adopted, she's never known her real parents, she like seeks out her biological mom. And like my mom I could tell because of my mom's reaction that like oh this is a serious plot line and I should uh, cross my uh hands and be very serious. Pay attention. And- and- yeah, really not pay. Laugh. Exactly. <laughs> There's no moment for laughter. But I was like I don't understand. Wow. So it gave me this weird kind of like um like first level to like I guess a gra- like a ground to stand on when I was finally like dealing with things in my actual human life. Yeah. That, but then in a weird way, I would always be like, oh, this is like that time on Felicity. Of course. So it was strange. Yeah. Very, it, very odd. And uh, they never handled anything right. But of course, when I was a kid, I was like, this is exactly what you
0: should do. <laughs> That's exactly, that was one of the thoughts I had was
1: that if you if you do that too much, it's going to burn you so hard. I So I recently went back and started rewatching Grey's Anatomy with my partner who had never seen it, and that was really embarrassing because (laughs) this was a show that I used to literally quote at people and like thought was like such a good like they just understand. And it was because my mom was like, "Oh, Grey's Anatomy," but it's it was basically a soap opera on network television. Oh, for sure, still is.
0: I think Grey's and The OC (laughs) were both appointment viewing for me at some point in my life, and now I can't really fathom watching
1: that show. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of it like breaks. Because I think the first two or three seasons are, like, a reasonable universe. But then I think once you get in further to the show, it doesn't make any sense. Like, it doesn't make any sense that they... And that's... But what's interesting, too, is that becomes part of the show, is them... They literally... The characters themselves are like, how does all of this bad stuff happen to us? There was a shooter. There was a plane crash. Like, yeah. this guy died. This other guy died. There was literally someone got electrocuted because there was an accident in the hospital that involved, like, um, water and then, like, electrical wires. And so one of the interns got, like, zapped to death. Um, and that's, like, I can't even imagine what the promos to that episode were like, you know? Like, that's yeah. also, oh, oh, that's a thing I want to talk about, too, is, like, promotional materials. Yeah. If we have time. I, yeah. Because I just think, like, I think it is so interesting how like moving backwards in time from like streaming services to like when people did the thing I did, which was to buy the DVDs just to watch the show. Cause there wasn't a streaming service option back to when like cable was happening. And I mean, it's still happening, but nobody really has it um, <laughs> in a completely different way, in a yeah. completely different way. And like the, the like, Like this week on Gilmore Girls, or like next week on uh, Felicity, or whatever. Like is so interesting to me that we don't have that anymore. Yeah, you just keep watching the show, and then just the idea of like, like I I I learned so many weird tidbits from these DVD um, booklets that had the had like trivia inside of them in addition to the names of the episodes and that's shit that like nobody should be yeah. caring about but I was like so obsessed with these universes that I would just flip through these books and be like oh like Lauren Graham loved this episode because it meant she got to wear a hat like, oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like that's not a real piece of trivia but like I kind of wish it yeah, was yeah. Yeah. yeah but it's along the same lines of what they'd be like
0: Melissa McCarthy actually <laughs> bought the donuts that she served in this episode <laughs> or whatever up. it is <laughs> yeah, I don't know oh my god
1: the birth of Melissa McCarthy <laughs> through Gilmore Girls was yeah. like an incredible. I, I know her character's name is Suki. Suki,
0: even though yeah. I've, I, I don't think I've watched an entire episode of that show. Wow,
1: that speaks volumes <sighs> to the show's ability to get into your head. Yeah. I would, I would encourage you to watch the first couple seasons because I think it holds up. It's, pr- it's weird in its own way because, like, it's a universe that's, like, quirky and fun, but, like, there are no gay people. Like, <laughs> the only joke about gay people or the only time a gay person is involved or a trans person is involved is if it's, like, a transphobic or a homophobic joke. There are no yeah. trans people. There's, like... Being gay is like not even a thing in this yeah. like small world. It's very strange because I was like pretty sure I was gay, but I was like obsessed with the show. And I was like, I it never even dawned on me how weird it is that this universe had no gay people. Man. Which but that, is so strange. That was one of the things I was going to ask was to
0: me, even something like the OC handled homosexuality so as weird. kind of a phase. Like yeah. at some point Misha Barton's character oh, yeah. dates a
1: woman and they're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's literally every scene is them going, oh, yeah. God, like, with the glasses. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, well, and even before that, I don't know if you remember uh, when, okay, I'm going to forget the kid's name, but the one that she was dating, that Misha Barton's character was dating that had the truck do you know what I'm talking about? He I, was like the mean kid and he was yeah. like, he was like, oh, welcome to the OC, bitch, and he like, like punches right. him. Ryan and, I don't remember his name, but there's a point where either. Ryan has to work with him on like a school project and they're like working on it together and they're starting to get along even though they're both in love with Misha Barton and there's kind of this tension, but they end up going his dad is like, owns a, um, a used car, or like, he's a fancy car salesman, whatever, mm-hmm. and they go to the to the car dealership <laughs> Why am I not able to come up with this word? <laughs> um, they go to the car dealership and they're like walking up because he really wants Ryan to meet his dad and the dad is like kissing a man and Ryan is like I promise I won't tell anyone and the kid's like yeah you better not and then somehow it comes out anyway and the whole town is like super super mean and spiteful and yes, so I it's, vaguely remember this it's seen as something that's like to be hidden or like to be ashamed of and right. even at the end of the episode when things are resolved between Ryan and this kid like there's no It's not like, oh, you know, it's okay that your dad is gay. It's not a problem. It's just kind of like pushed under the rug. Right. And they make fun of the gay dad later. Like, they make jokes about, like, his gay dad. Yeah. And it's never, like... Yeah, being gay was like this weird other thing that only happened to a few people and was to be kept quiet, which totally matched my actual high school experience, Right, which is even funnier because recently, uh, within the last 24 hours, someone that I love and went to school with came out to me, um, which I'm like, this is crazy because we're like basically adults now. I'm not sure why you didn't just tell me when we were in high school, Wow! but it was one of the, all these kids, all these dudes who used to like totally make fun of me for being gay. They're now gay. Of course. I was like. I love it. Could keep them coming. Yeah, like. yeah, like, uh, uh, bless you for yeah. finding your truth, you yeah. know? Like, <laughs> At least you didn't wait, you know, another 10 or 20 years, honestly. Jeez, man. But jeez that's just interesting i i think that's super interesting and it's something
0: that i you know thought about asking about specifically is like how your uh relationship with you know sexuality was shaped by any of these shows yeah yeah because it it really feels like that era of television specifically it was like okay we're gonna start talking about sexuality, but it's always going to be, like you said, in a way that it's an other, yeah. in a way that it's, like, still kind of meant to be hidden or ashamed of or a punchline. I mean, I'm honestly stunned at something like Stranger Things, I think, doesn't handle sexuality very well. Like, it's still used as a
1: punchline. I haven't watched the second season. Really? I, so. Well, in
0: the first season, there are a couple of just, like, like uses of... uh like pejoratives and um, even among the kids, like the three or four boys, there are comments of like, what are you, gay? And like no one ever really calls it out as wrong. Do you think
1: that's because it's period though?
0: I think that's what they're using as an excuse, yes. like, and, And to me, that doesn't subvert the genre. If they're looking to subvert the genre, then they can't just... Like, and I guess they're not necessarily subverting it. This is, well, you know, kind a of different lazy conversation. To- you just can't, I just don't think you get to use that it's the period as an excuse anymore if you're not uh, commenting on the fact that it's wrong. Yeah. You know, like, and, and, you know, I think there are shows that just kind of continue to irresponsibly handle uh, sexuality and, like, jokes about it. And, you know... That's from a straight cis woman's
1: perspective. <laughs> Wait, but what show specifically can you think of? Because uh, I, I don't want to talk about this. <laughs> I
0: really like the show Big Mouth, but I don't... I haven't watched it. I don't think that they make jokes like that responsibly. It's yeah. similarly used as only a pejorative, and I think all that it would take is someone calling out that character. All it would take is someone going like, hey, that's shitty. Yeah. Don't do that.
1: Or just like, why are you saying that? <laughs> yeah, or
0: yeah. or like, you know, who care? like, oh, yeah, like way to insult me, buddy, or whatever it is. Like, yeah. I think that there are just like still, and I think that that's the, probably the excuse that uh, the creators of Big Mouth would use as well as it's like, well, it's a high school setting, so kids are gonna be mean. This and, stuff
1: happens, yeah. But I don't, think that it's couched
0: well like i don't think there's anyone saying that it's wrong and i know that the characters for the most part that are using pejoratives are meant to be like troubled or
1: uh I hate the excuse that that's an antihero. I hate when bad behavior is couched by the fact that this is an antihero or someone that you're not supposed to look up to or like it's supposed to be representative of like a good character because that doesn't that doesn't do anything for us. I don't think so either. I really just think it's as simple
0: as if you want to use it, then you have to use it in a way that points out that it's bad and yeah. shitty. Like I just. I don't think that you get to say that it's of the era or that, like you said, oh, well, this character is bad, so they do bad stuff sometimes. Yeah. But if you don't do that responsibly, then you're still not teaching anyone anything, Yeah. I, I guess.
1: And and. Or you're creating a, a world, a universe, because literally when you have the option to create the universe that your characters are in, why the fuck would you leave it – in a place that's that that maybe you grew up in or like that that a time, you know, like I don't I'm in Chicago. I don't really deal with this anymore on a day-to-day basis, but I grew up in Kennesaw, Georgia, where there were no gay people as far as I knew. Like there was no one out. I didn't, you know, making I remember my family making fun of like someone who was like um one of my friends' parents because they were like saying that she was um like I don't want to say the word. Well, I guess mm. it's not a bad word, but it's like a dyke. Mm. And I remember being like really uncomfortable asking like what that was. Mm. And like I don't know, it's like But I don't have to deal with that anymore. So why would I have that as, like, if I did anything about, like, my childhood or it created anything, why the fuck would I bring that with me? Like, that's exactly how I feel. And I think the biggest
0: example of that on the most surface level of this argument is something like Game of Thrones. Yeah. It's like cool, you made Game of Thrones and it's like fictional and fantasy and it's supposed to be like medieval so people like rape each other and there's incest and stuff. But it's like, you could choose anything. It's all made up. You don't have to include
1: this. It kind of reveals, it's it's so interesting. Um, It kind of reveals like the bizarre uh, like hidden biases or like things that people take as like just for granted that like, that come with, like, if you're creating a completely fictional world, but you think that that's like a baseline parameter for social interaction, <laughs> like, well, there's power dynamics at play, so somebody's gonna get raped. Like, yeah. no, it, that's, like, really it, problematic and awful. Yeah, it just doesn't feel like a reason. It doesn't feel well, especially like an you've, excuse. You've got things like... Um, like stuff that Ursula Le Guin created that was like she was like a sci-fi um writer. I know that name. Did she recently pass, pass away? away? Um but a lot of like the stuff that she created um like they had it had to do with like gender um and kind of like cuz sci-fi is such an interesting area for that, right? Because you're literally creating new worlds and new like existences and mm-hmm. ways for people to exist and like subverting gender and sexuality and so race and race yeah and so it's like yeah um so it's just interesting to me when like a typically like a white dude tries to do sci-fi or fantasy and it's like the most interesting thing they can think of is to like take these awful interactions and like put them in like the body of like some a dragon or something like i don't know no i mean i
0: i uh I can't... It's, like, a hard genre for me to uh, crack into because of that a lot of times. It's just, like, I don't need to see a potential future where it's, like, rainy and dark and, like, there's still some brooding white dude. (laughs) Like, it's, it's like, just because you changed where the thing is set doesn't (laughs) automatically make it more interesting. In fact, the fact that you could do anything and you still did this again makes it wildly uninteresting. Yeah, Yeah. like, it just is is getting kind of old. And I feel like they're still... you know, with that said, I think Big Mouth is a good show, yeah. and, but it is hard for me to recommend to people. And I've talked to other people who said the exact same thing, God. that like there's just enough like jokes that don't feel like the punchline is right, uh, that the punchline still feels, you know, like it's punching down and not like it's coming from a place of like well this person is damaged so they're still making like offensive jokes it's not it's not enough of an excuse for me that's so interesting and and maybe you know it's a young show it was the first season maybe they're they will kind of figure that out uh to me, it's one of the only things keeping me from like broadly recommending the show to people yeah. is uh uh <laughs> there's also a pretty problematic uh uh casting choice because Jenny Slate voices a non white character. Yeah. Uh, like I heard she's about either that. like uh I believe she's mixed, and it's just like Man, it's cool that you're representing visually, but the, the like not representing with the casting is kind of bullshit. Yeah. Like, and I know Bojack does that too. Uh,
1: and that's it's, a really interesting thing that you bring up because, um, yeah, because it's Allison Brie mm-hmm. who plays um a character who I think is partially uh Vietnamese.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure. I I know that she plays an Asian character, but I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah,
1: and and but that but that's like a large part of the of this character's. Um, of Diane's character arc is like that her relationship with her family and with being like with not being white and so it's v- see that's even more it's wild yeah th- there's
0: definitely not that factor to uh, the big mouth casting like, but it's they, like if you, they don't address it it almost
1: feels like they wanted a token without having to pay yeah <laughs> like a voice actor who is actually but I I think not it's not white
0: <sighs> I think it's that that people of color, and I think that like trans actors and, and other like LGBT actors uh, run into this as well because there isn't an, as, as much of an established, you know, uh, well of people like that. Yeah. That it's easier to cast a name. And and not worry about it as much. I think and go Black like Black Panther kind of proves that wrong. Right. Like, like I, I I think that's a really good point. I think it's like, oh, so do you want to make a movie with just like a, an incredible cast yeah. full of people that you could choose any of them for your creative projects? Yeah. Yes, it's possible. Yeah. yeah it's it's one hundred percent possible. It's a it's a terrible excuse. Yeah. It, it just takes a little more work and it might not be a household name yet. Yeah. But yeah. it could be, you know, like a Tiffany Haddish or yeah. someone like that who, like, deserves all
1: of the success or like, that they could find. I love America Ferreira. I yeah. Mean, like, yeah. She, she had an arc on The Good Wife that was really great. I don't know. I mean, uh, my mom is it's... has been trying to get me to watch Ugly Betty for years. <laughs> Ooh, that's one of those
0: ones that I think if I went back, I'd be
1: like, oh, God, this is problematic. Probably. (laughs) Yeah, there's definitely... Yeah. It's so interesting, though, now that, like, we... I don't know, as a society, that we're so much pickier in a way. Yeah. That it's interesting to think of the ways in which I am frustrated now that I didn't even consider That if you
0: thought about that in the context of any of the shows that we kind of have been talking about. Well, it's hard.
1: Yeah, it's hard, like, I think... I think recently I had a I, kind of the the conversation around like whether or not you can recommend something that is problematic or has like these sort of um, bad jokes that you don't want people to think that you think cosine. are great. Yeah. yeah, like Gilmore Girls definitely had. Sure, I mean every other fucking sentence there she's making some kind of weird joke about like a woman, a man wearing a dress or yeah. you know like something like that. That's like honestly, I don't. Dude, <laughs> I mean cosine. yeah, if you like. Friends was one of the most popular shows. Also, that show is bad. I don't understand. I've never watched it. I never got
0: into it either, and to me, it mostly seems bad too yeah. but like if you want to talk about like transphobic and homophobic and, just and like
1: generally fucked up yeah television. it's you can't and like a lack of diversity like it yeah. can yeah. keep rattling Friends was off like girls for like slightly more boring people in new york <laughs> <laughs> like it yeah. literally is the same yeah. thing i don't know but that's like another person that i feel like We've been really hard. Like, I think justifiably, I'm not going to sit here and act like Lena Dunham deserves anything. But I just think it's funny that, like, I think it's funny, too, who we're willing to, like, um, throw under the bus. Oh,
0: I do, too. I actually think it's interesting to me that there isn't more of a conversation in the zeitgeist about a show like Big Mouth or about people calling out stranger things for using pejoratives like yeah. it, it seems like we really pick and choose what we want well, to be mad about it's
1: the woody allen effect if yeah. the content is something that speaks to you why you know why try to pick it apart why can't you just enjoy something can't you just enjoy something <laughs> can you
0: just separate the art from the artist yeah uh yeah
1: and it's sure. like i can't yeah. I absolutely, oh my God. Manhattan was one of my favorite movies when I was like 17. How creepy is that? Wow. I go back now and I'm, well, I've never watched it again, but I just like think about how I used to, I mean, I used to watch that over and over again when I was like 15 or 16. I don't know. I, yeah, I really liked it. And now it's like, how fucking creepy is that? Yeah. The plot of that movie is literally just that Woody Allen doesn't want to date Diane Keaton. He wants to date some literal like teenager. Teenager. Yeah. It's like a really creepy movie. Anyway, I mean, it's just, Gross. Um, yeah. but oh, I f- for sure <laughs> I had a conversation with someone yesterday actually about um, like casting calls and um how theaters are trying to be more um inclusive on casting calls by saying she was asking me like um how do you feel about the words like gender expansive when a casting call is saying like it doesn't need to be like a cis man it could be like anybody and um or like or um fem or fem or uh female identifying Mm. and um i personally like think that's gross because um If I'm I mean, I don't identify as a female. I'm not a female. But um, if I if I was, I would just be female. It's so fucked up to say female identifying because I know who you're asking for. I know Mm. what you want. Like, I don't know. It's like I I just think you should say female or male or or gender nonconforming. Um, but and it's you just you don't it,
0: have to it's not a place where you need to be like, like what's use inclusive the difference? language what's, just ask what you're asking for just say what for. you're asking for
1: but, but, but like what's the difference between like female identifying and female my friends who are trans women that's they're a, not female identifying yeah. they're fucking women yeah that's so. a really good
0: point that female identifying is more othering than if you oh just said female completely I see what you're saying
1: and like I know that it can be sometimes it's like if they, if you just say like that we're seeking like a woman for casting that it can maybe be I mean I'm not in that position To be like, oh, is that including me? Right. Um, But I think saying female identifying is just like, it just creeps me out when anyone uses that. Right. I just think, ugh, I'm just like, you're going to be secretly
0: awful. (laughs) I think that's super fair. And it doesn't, yeah, I think the world of casting and, you know, what those write ups include is wildly offensive in a lot of
1: ways. Well, she was saying that the reason she asked is because she was looking through some casting calls and there was one for um, Macbeth. And for the witches, they said gender expansive, mm. um, female identifying, which means that they were looking for trans women to play the witches. And I was like, that's disgusting. Like, that that's a bizarre... Really I just odd. was like, oh, that's so bad. I And the thing is, I wouldn't even like... N-
0: I wouldn't be able to decipher that. That's what exactly. they meant. Yeah, I know. Honestly,
1: yeah. Well, and I guess I uh, I'm like maybe being a little bit too, um, like discerning of that. But I I'm kind of always on my guard, thinking that somebody's going to say something gross or yeah, something, yeah. Of
0: like, course, I think that's a know. fair place to you know <laughs> experience <laughs> the world from in your position in this yeah time. But but it's yeah. yeah. So are they just trying to avoid specifically asking for trans women I think to audition? Because so.
1: it think wasn't for harm? any other role. Hmm. And those, I don't know, maybe I'm the one who's got a gross mind, but I just feel like the witches from Macbeth are supposed to like look kind of like strange, oh. they're supposed to be very other, like... So to me, when it was just that, like, you don't care about, you know, you're asking for men, women, for everything else, but you say gender expansive for the witches? I was like, oh, that's bizarre. Totally. I don't like that. I totally
0: see where you're coming from, and I think you're (laughs)
1: justified
0: in feeling that way. Yeah,
1: so, I don't know. But it is interesting, like, uh, I mean, I feel like when Buffy, did you ever watch Buffy? Mm Mm-mm. Okay. So when Buffy came out and was... There were, there were a lot of aspects of it that were very um, progressive at the time. At least I was told. Uh, and I went back and watched Buffy two or three years ago. And um, there is an entire plot arc that is three or four episodes long that is about a boy who builds a robot that looks like a sister or woman. Um, and, uh, they build the, he builds the robot so that he can have sex with her. Um, and then she starts to like do things on her own cause she has like, she's sentient. And then he, I think just like rapes her. Um, and then everybody's like aware that he's like a bad guy <laughs> at that point. Right. But they also like feel sorry for him and like they're like oh if he just like he just created this this perfect girlfriend like because he's so sad like there's just a lot of like giving him like (laughs) like like, they never say that it's rape they're just like you know you, you took advantage of this like robot that you created to be your girlfriend I don't know I just remember watching that and it was like hard for me to keep going with Buffy. Interesting. And but when you talk to people, they fucking they're like Joss Whedon is the most incredible feminist I've ever met. Yeah.
0: He's someone else who like pretty broadly gets a pass, but like pretty nefarious stuff has come out about the
1: way that he treats women and But they're like they're like I guess it's because that one quote that always gets put onto like pictures of his characters on Tumblr. Oh that are yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Strong
0: female yeah. characters, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I yeah. don't even know what it is. I don't but even I know but that's you're exactly about. what it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah just, it's it's mm. like if you've it it feels like uh and it kinda goes back to that like why I think that John Ronson so even publicly shame stuff is so interesting, is because it feels like as like our mom mentality picks and chooses really specifically that, like, because Joss Whedon has done enough for like female protagonists, yeah. he can do no wrong. And it's like, no,
1: nah, it's kind of bullshit. If the guy sucks, he sucks. Like, I think there's also like almost this bizarre, um, um, like we don't want to go far enough back in time mm. to like. I think people get a pass uh, other yeah. than like Woody Allen, but that's cuz that shit was so fucking heinous. And right. some people still are just like and I, I was love say, Woody. and even then
0: I think that's arguable uh uh for some people anyway. Yeah. Um yeah, it does seem like there the like statute of limitations argument is, like, is part of it. I got I got there, there for we both go. of us. Thank you. Uh yeah it's interesting you know if you're a piece of shit for a long time but then at some point you decide not to be one do people still get to hold that against you um (laughs) what do you think it is about the wb specifically that
1: uh, like why is that the channel why is it why is it so odd why that i don't know i mean i was looking at their like everything um that they were offering at that time i think it's the fact that it's Teen dramas mm. um, that kind of, for me, was like what was interesting because I was a teen, <laughs> uh, but I was younger than right. all of these parts. Um, right. But I don't know. I mean, I think I trusted it for some reason to be a little bit. It like, was
0: a brand new, new.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Marketing works. Um, I don't know. I think it was. It was because of my like close personal attachment to Gilmore Girls and Felicity that I even, like, later... It's just so funny, too, The how different the WB shows were from the CW shows that came out later. Like, Gossip Girl, oh, and, like, all that yeah. bullshit. Which, yeah. I, oh, I ate it up, too. Oh, I was but gonna like... say, which seems like it would still be something you <laughs> yeah. were into if I'm being frank. <laughs> oh, my God. I love Gossip Girl. But, yeah, I think... I think that the WB's offerings were kind of... Like, I guess of any television during this time, it was, like, this perfect little world that could be, like, uninterrupted by um, danger or, like, because Gilmore Girls, the most, the scariest thing that happens on the show is, like, either that she gets into a car accident once or, like, but, like, emotionally, the most dangerous thing that happens is, like, you know, there's drama between the, like, between the generations. But it's, like, it's always resolved at some point. And, right. like. You know, and then there's like a quirky montage or like a like a moment in the town where like, you know, somebody does something silly. Um, that's literally the whole. Pl- it's like a Jane Austen book as a TV show. I like like it's like Emma. I don't know, um, but there's just like a lot of secondary characters, like any Jane Austen novel. Yeah, but I, All I don't know. Stars Hollow is a very realized <laughs> place. Yeah, yeah. It just. Um, Yeah, it was, like, really comforting because you get to know these characters in a specific way. And I think also, like, um, my mom was, like, my, like... um oh man, Uh, you know in like The Wizard of Oz when there's like the guy who's like, um, you gotta give me a reason to open this door or Mm -hmm. whatever. And he's Mm -hmm. like- he's like Into the Emerald City? Yeah. Yeah. My mom was that for pop culture because like she, if she didn't like it, like I didn't know it existed. That's so funny. So like, I don't think I, like we watched Grey's Anatomy, but we watched that on DVD. So like Mm -hmm. I didn't watch any ABC shows. I mostly didn't watch cable. Like I just watched whatever she gave me. I didn't know David Bowie, who that was until like probably five years ago. Like I'm, I'm being real. My mom did not like the Talking Heads, so we just pretended that that wasn't a genre of music that existed. Along with Prince, did not know Prince. Wow, how is that possible? That's a lot. I know the minutiae to- of the WB, but I do not know who Prince is. Yeah, yeah I didn't really, really know. Lot. I didn't. Ne- I. I don't think I'd ever heard a Prince song until I moved here, like three years ago. Wow, doesn't make any sense. That's. Yeah. It's that's not like crazy. princess from Chicago. I just got away from my family. No, yeah, right, right, right. right. <laughs> you just like, discovered the rest of the world. Exactly. Uh, it's embarrassing. Man, that's
0: so interesting. Uh I This feels like therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've gotten that before.
1: Uh
0: I think it's a I think it's a good thing. Um, I think so too. <laughs> sweet. I I am very specifically interested in how you think that. DVD commentary era and, like, booklet yeah, Uh kind of uh, transitioned into all taking place online. Like, you mentioned this before we started recording, <laughs> that you have a friend who oh worked on a show that would incorporate fan theories into the show. Yes. And that is fucking otherworldly, like, to me. I, I... I I can't fathom that that happens in television.
1: So um, it wasn't a network show. Um, it was a series that was on. I think it was on YouTube. And here's the here's the circle background. It was produced by um, Hank Green. Oh, so and it was a show called The Lizzie Bennett Diaries. Um, uh, and Hank Green being the other, uh, <laughs>
0: v- vit- the vlog other brother. What are they? What's <laughs> their thing called? The- I don't know. Are they literally the Green Brothers? I don't know. Uh, they had, like, a very popular oh. video thing called, like, the Vlog Brothers or something like that. Because he made videos about, like, history or, like, for, for classrooms, right? Yeah, I think so. And I never knew them as this. I only knew John Green as a young the adult writer. author. Yeah. And, like, all of this stuff is, like, it's... Like a bizarre tertiary world yeah, for you. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Also... Did you know that the person who did the math for an abundance of Catherines is running for Illinois governor, Daniel Biss? What? Isn't that wild? Oh. I know. Is that the right Doesn't reaction that you make
1: had? you That's so sweet? I
0: it blew my mind and like if I did I already supported him yeah. almost by default because he's like the only non-billionaire running yeah. uh for the Democratic ticket. And then to find that out, I was just like Oh my god. That is really what? sweet. He's really good friends with John Green and he helped him write abundance of Catherine's because he did a whole bunch of like a kid doing math math. Well honestly that he's
1: he's absolutely secured my that vote. Fits. That reads <laughs> for me. Like when I just see Daniel Biss's face, I'm like, Oh yeah, he definitely did math for like a children's OYA novel. Yes. Yeah. That's it totally also reads. what a bizarre and specific task. Yes. Like, oh, I did the math for that book. Yeah. What
0: does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, when I read the afterword, I was like, this is fascinating. This is fascinating. I love it. Someone did math for this. Yes. And uh, then, like, tr- like two weeks later, I found out that it was the Daniel Biss. And I was like, oh,
1: my God. <laughs> so I think that's interesting, too, because, like, this fascination or, like, veracity to read, like, the afterword or, mm-hmm. like, um or the notes sometimes I'll read the notes from a book which is so stupid cuz it's like these it's I don't know but that was kind of like what also drove me to be really into like the DVD there commentary go. or like the extras or whatever but um it is interesting that like um i mean i don't know like i i was really interested in this kind of like additional content mm-hmm. that existed not really, like, outside of the show, but it was kind of, like, maybe it was the aspect of, like, it's a little insider information or whatever. Yeah. Um, but then, like... So Hank Green so, is
0: one of the producers, you said? Pro-
1: yeah, he wa- I think he still is, but he was a, he's a producer for this group. Um, I don't know if it's specifically connected, but it, they do um, Jane Austen adaptations, so this was called the Lizzie Bennet Diaries, and it was a Jane. It was an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, it's all up. Yeah, like you're gonna go watch this like in five. I'm, the yes, second I leave, like it's so funny. It took me this long.
0: <laughs> to realize that that's why I knew the name Lizzie oh. Bennett you know like because I'm just not a big Jane oh Austen person
1: what I know Sorry. I know. It we just, should have been talking about Jane Austen because that is another thing that people are pissed that I talk about for as long as I do that's so funny which I, is not on brand for me I'm sure that is wild because next
0: week I'm recording <gasps> with the woman who's talking about Jane Austen
1: what oh okay well I definitely have to listen to that one there <laughs> you go that's awesome next,
0: the week after yours they're gonna feel t-
1: <laughs> real tied together We're Real connected. Uh, you can use uh, t- uh, this little clip of me talking about Jane Austen as the promo there for our episode. There we go. Just it ties of, everything. Really but yeah, it. like I was like Lizzie
0: Bennett huh? That name sounds familiar, and it's <laughs> Did because I, go to high I read. Yeah, like, like, <laughs> I read most of Pride and Prejudice in high school, and that's like. All, the sum total of my genealogy. Okay, experience. so this is my
1: hot take on Pride and Prejudice. It really pisses me off that people think that that's like a romantic book or like a romantic <laughs> novel because it is not. It is a it is a novel about class warfare, baby. Yeah. Okay. It is a novel about. Um, about class warfare i don't know i mean i don't know what else to say like uh lizzie <laughs> bennett was super poor darcy was super rich she's overwhelmed by his richness she thinks oh my god he's worldly he can take me out of this place that i'm in mm-hmm. i could you know he's he's of other places and that's why she's interested in him um and i think that's why people are interested in jane austen because it takes you out of it's connected you know you, you connect to it in some way but it takes you out of your life sure and into this whole other universe in a way that like the fact that it's so old is insane. Sure, like, sure,
0: sure, sure. I, don't know,
1: I, lo- I think Jane Austen is the coolest. So Jane Austen um, invented this thing in literature called uh, free indirect discourse and it's when you're reading a book and it's in the third person, the narrator is talking and then there's kind of like an aside like either like a hyphen will indicate this that you're breaking into a new voice and the voice is from it's still in the third person but it's written in such a way that you know that it's from the perspective of the character. So like, let's Say I'm 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 writing a paragraph and I'm like um, the fast rabbit decided to jump over the hill hyphen and gosh darn it I love that hill like I, from the perspective of like or like he loved that hill like if, yeah. if he's like really like like erratic like it'll be erratic language so like she literally pioneered that and so Man. and it's used throughout like all of her books and it's used throughout a lot of the movies that are adaptations um, which is really interesting. Uh, and that's just something that I think is really fascinating that she literally invented that. Um, she, like so much uh, about what she wrote was about the dichotomy between like um, being in control, being the writer, and also like kind of pe- like peeking behind the curtain and letting people see like a little bit of like like there a, a lot of her um, earlier juvenilia. There's there'll be like a line that's like and the writer thought that would be a great idea, but it's like literally written. I just I'm fascinated wow. by it. Okay, so that is fascinating. There's a lot. To work with with Jane Austen, right? And so they created the Lizzie Bennet Diaries, which was a. It was kind. It, it feels it's similar in tone to Crazy Ex Girlfriend, mm-hmm. but it's a vlog um, that's from the perspective of Lizzie Bennet, and she is interacting with people in her life um, who go to high school with her, her sister. Um, this uh, like Asian kid Bing Lee, because the um, Bing Bing Lee is the character who like comes. He's kind of like he's the one that that uh, is rich and that the line like that starts the book. They're like really famous line that's like um, uh, it is a truth universally acknowledged that uh, all blah, blah 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 like women in want yes. of a of a like a wife or whatever. Mm, mm-hmm. So in the book, um, he's like. Extremely rich, and Darcy's his friend, and he's looking for a wife. And yes. the sister right. is the one who, yeah, who court is being courted. And so in the in the vlog, it's like this Asian kid being Lee, and like I don't know, they just like did a lot of weird stuff like that. That was like, oh, like hmm, a little <laughs> creative, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah like yeah. Oh, a little nod to the original. Yeah, um, but it was like for teens. And so what's interesting about it is my, friend, and it, but it's set in a modern in era. A modern, era yes. I'm assuming, okay, yeah, I don't know where exactly because um, I haven't watched it in a very long time, but it's set in like in like two thousand. 2008, you know, um, and so Alex, Alexandria Edwards, who I went to school with, um, she actually got an Emmy for this uh, particular thing that's called Transmedia, I believe. Um, but it's the act of kind of creating this like tertiary content that feeds into the original. I mean, I'm probably describing this incorrectly, but this is from what I understood. If she ever listens to this, I'll feel embarrassed. <laughs> um, but basically it was... Um, she would create the social media profiles for the different characters. So, like, Lizzie had her own Facebook, her own Twitter, whatever. And then what they would do is they would pose a status or a tweet that was, like, a question or was saying, like, I'm not sure what I'm going to do today. Like, or I'm not sure if I'm going to, you know, forgive Darcy. And then they would read all of the fan responses. And whatever the fans wanted Lizzie would literally say to the camera like you know I've I've been listening to or I've been reading a lot of your feedback like I really appreciate that you guys have been telling me that I should stick to my guns and not apologize and I think that's what I'm going to do. So while it was shaped around Jane Austen it was shaped by the fans like how cool is that? That is
0: fascinating. And
1: that's like a career path. That is
0: so interesting. I love it. As a, can you imagine if, as a young person, you had been able to interact with Ugh. the things that you're watching like that? I think about can that you, all the time. That, of course you do. Like, <laughs> and, and
1: not to be like, yeah,
0: you fucking nerd, of course you do. <laughs> but like, true. isn't that what? Wouldn't that have just closed the loop for you? You know what I mean? Well, That's why you were so yeah. rapidly consuming stuff is because it's like you felt like you were a part of it, but then you would have
1: fucking actually been a part of well, it. Well it's kind of like a new branch of fan fiction in a way because I was uh, I was super into fan fiction when I was sure, in Sure like it is certainly that's like- literally how I learned how to write is I wrote Harry Potter fan fiction and Neopets fan fiction yes. like with the Neopets involved oh. <laughs> every day of the fucking week and that was how I learned how to write and that's literally what I do now for a living to make money. I am a content specialist so I create content for money that's how I'm like that's Crazy! I did this stupid thing as a child, and now it is how I make money in the world. Yeah, wild. Yeah, yeah. I would have. I mean, that 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 basically would
0: have. Yeah, and I didn't think about the idea that it's just kind of like incorporating fan fiction directly back into. Yeah, it's literally fan fiction. Wow,
1: it's amazing. Yeah, and um, I mean, it's just cool that that's like things that they're trying to incorporate. Just content itself is changing so much because of the internet, because of social media. I mean, I don't know if that'll ever happen in terms of TV shows, but even like... Um, and who's to say that it hasn't, to some extent? You know,
0: yeah, I I, I, I don't know that there have been a ton of showrunners coming out and saying like,
1: I've we're really reading. listening to the... Well, um, oh, who's the guy who does BoJack Horseman? He has, in a lot of interviews, mentioned that he... Does pay attention to the online fan communities hmm. in terms of writing the show, hmm. which is really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I think fandom in general is so interesting.
0: And I think it has changed a lot because of some of the things that we've talked about the way that we consume uh, media, but also the way that the internet has brought together fan bases. Yeah. Uh, the way that, and, uh generation of people who grew up on certain intellectual properties yeah. have now become adults and those yeah. properties have become multi-million dollar endeavors and such. Yeah. So it it's I had never like heard of uh something t- being taken that far, you know,
1: from Well, she won an Emmy for it, so That's definitely amazing. Yeah, I don't know. I think about that all the time that like that's A career path you can take and that's also an interesting part of it is like monetizing this like these creative worlds that Mm -hmm. we once just were like you know watching or whatever like that now that's something you can actually like aspire to create yourself for sure what would your ideal if you if you could have like influenced the wb somehow (laughs) (laughs) oh definitely that's a great question um if I could have, like, had, you know, could have whispered into the ear of, like, the yeah. showrunner of whatever. Yeah. Is it show-based? Can it be show-based? You know. It <laughs> whatever to be. However... We're going to create it however we want to create it, but we're not going to be racist or sexist. <laughs> so, um... <laughs> yeah, it's going to be tough. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I think... So, there's, like, three elements. Like, for Gilmore Girls, I, I would have been, like, Give me a gay character. Yeah. Give sure. me a gay character. Make Paris. What, gay. A, what a simple <laughs> desire. It's like a what, a, what ask. a fucking small S. <laughs> Truly. But then I think on top of that, um, for Gilmore girls, I would have said well, there's like specific it would have been it would have been plot specific. Because mm-hmm. in the same way that what Lizzie Bennett Diaries did was to give fans an opportunity to shape the plot, I would have told them do not let Rory go to Yale or like do not let Rory fall in with the rich kids. Cause that's basically the plot of the show is that, There is a rich family. The daughter gets pregnant and she decides she's going to walk away from that world and she's going to start on her own and be a single mom and raise a daughter. That's Lorelai and Rory. Rory grows up, is super smart, and goes to this like private school called Chilton. But the only way, this is all in the first episode, mind you, the only way that Lorelai can pay for Chilton is to borrow money from Emily and Richard, her rich parents. So it creates this weird dichotomy around money and like, being able to and privilege and like walking away from things so rory grows up going to chilton wants to go to harvard ends up going to yale doesn't understand the sacrifices in a way that her mom you know made by walking away from this world of like um of uh like expensive things and like, yeah. of and like,
0: having to kind of compromise that again to decide what to allow she rory, thought was the mm, best
1: you yes. know thing to do for her daughter to allow rory to like have all the possible options. So Rory falls in with this group of rich kids and gets the wrong priorities and basically all fucked up. And so in like the fifth season, I think, there's a big fight between Lorelai and Rory because Rory's just acting out and acting so different than herself because she's around these weird rich kids who can do whatever they want because they're never going to get arrested. Um, and so then they, there's a break and the the Lorelai and Rory don't talk for like a whole season. And it is when you listen, if you listen to Lauren Graham's audiobook for her book, it was called like Talking Fast. I uh-huh. think it was, yeah, it was all about Gilmore Girls. Uh-huh. Um, she talks about how that was the most painful season for her and that when her and Alexis, so the way that they did it was that because they weren't in a lot of scenes together, because they were fighting, um, she was like, I didn't see Alexis for like most of that season. So when we come back together at the end of the season and you see us hug, it's, it's a like real a genuine, hug because oh, we have- haven't seen each other. Oh. Isn't that sweet? Yeah. She was like, you know, because we haven't been able to be in the same room together we haven't been filming together we missed each other and so when we finally got back together and hugged and there's that moment that's a real moment oh. yeah oh no it's um i would recommend watching the entirety of gilmore girls <laughs> and and then uh listening to lauren graham's talking fast legit considered
0: so, uh <laughs> listening to it or reading it without being a gilmore girls fan because mostly i just really like lauren
1: Graham. well most of the book is about her <laughs> Living in New York or Chicago, and she actually has a really interesting childhood because she grew up in the Virgin Islands. I think whoa with her dad, and like they traveled a lot. Her dad huh. was very this kind of like um, quirky character, um, a la Glass Castle. Glass mm, Castle. I know what you're talking about. It's a great book. It's very interesting, and she talks about Anne Sathers because she used to work there. So oh, right, it's hilarious. a little piece of yeah, it's yeah, a, little, yeah. a
0: little piece of Chicago. Uh, well, so. my my uh, my recommendation is check out a little show called Parenthood because. Oh, pr- are you kidding uh-huh. me? Of course I've
1: already seen Barenthood. What? Good. <laughs> okay. Except okay. Have, you went, have you gone back and watched it?
0: Uh, No. I watched it all mostly as it aired.
1: Yeah. So I went back and watched it recently or like started watching it. And I will tell you that it is a little bit painful because mm. it's very saccharine sweet. Oh, yeah. I was making fun of everyone for watching This Is Us and then I went back and watched Parenthood recently Dude, and I was this like, I am a
0: piece of shit. Is totally the like spiritual it's, sequel yeah, to Parenthood. parenthood. I, I even like, I, I watched the first half of the first season of This Is Us because my parents were watching it and it felt like it was going to be that show and I honestly still want to like revisit it and finish that show m- mostly because I really like like the purity of a family drama like an ensemble family drama just isn't that common yeah and I really liked getting to share the show parenthood with my family yeah and because there isn't that much stuff that I watch that they watch but you know I loved I like fell in love with Lauren Graham and (laughs) Mae Whitman because of that show like yeah their relationship and dynamic is so funny because it's so realistic. similar to... It is so realistic and it's so, like, similar from what I gathered to, like, what their stuff was on Gilmore Girls. And, like, there's a certain... Uh, you know single
1: mommy-ness yes. Yes. to it that where like they're super best friends even though she's her mom <laughs> well and she Lauren Graham has talked about that before in interviews of like how she figured out how to differentiate her character on Gilmore Girls between her and her character on Parenthood mm-hmm. because they're kind of similar except that Lorelai is always on top of everything she mm-hmm. runs an inn later she purchases an inn like gotcha. she's the single parent who's like killing it and still wearing yeah. stiletto I oh, was like oh gotcha um, but like Sarah, but Sarah on parenthood is, is, a is a total fuck up, up. Yeah. yeah completely and in a way um Amber, Amber is also kind of a fuck <laughs> up so it's interesting Interesting so so but they're both but they're both instances of of mother-daughter relationships where there's tension because of sameness Yes which is interesting to me because it's like Amber and Sarah are very similar and yes. that's why there is tension Right uh, Rory and um uh, Lorelai are very I mean literally Rory's name is Lorelai Shortened it's that's like the purpose she's supposed to be of Lorelai basically uh, but then that's why it's so painful when in like when she goes to the Yale years and she right. starts to think for herself and yeah. she's like wait a minute I actually love uh, hanging out at tea parties and doing things I that like involve money yeah I yeah. love this in the rich same shit. way that Amber was like I love the bad boys yeah yeah,
0: yeah and yeah. she's yeah. like
1: making the same mistakes that her mom made right
0: yeah. that's so interesting I never knew that they were I never kind of put together that it was like the names the oh no Uh-oh. I never knew that <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I, I didn't realize uh that across the two shows that was kind of the biggest difference was that one one they're like the the kind of like goody good two angelic shoes yeah. ones and one they're like the bad girls who got into a little too much trouble <laughs> when they were in teenagers. Well,
1: but what's weird is that Lorelai so there's a lot of shifting on Gilmore Girls because when you first start start watching it, Emily is this kind of uptight grandmother who's rich, and you just think like, oh, what a bitch. L- Lorelai is the fuck up mm. to her mom, but she's like she's like pretty Perfect cool. You're like ways, yeah, you're and... like oh, she's like funny and hot, and like I was like obsessed with her. I oh, that, I mean crush. that's
0: that's truly like how I feel about like. Sarah and Amber yeah. and I was always just like damn like they just like have their shit together and also like yeah uh, they can get it for sure <laughs> yeah for sure for sure
1: both of them could for sure get it 100 it yeah no that was like why I was watching the show too hilarious but then like the the it's just weird because like w- along the course of seven seasons lorelei becomes more pragmatic and you kind of figure out that like emily was never really that much of a bitch she was just like wanting what was best right and then rory becomes like lorelei because she's kind of the fuck up by like you know disappearing into this weird world of like parties and drinking and like i don't know it's so interesting yeah like how they all shift and become each other because they are of each other i mean rory is literally shortened Lorelei, like sorry, I get right really tried to. They did it. <laughs> like, they did it for us. Yeah, they did all that work exactly. That's I know. So funny. Yeah, they really set up. I mean. Amy Sherman-Palladino, you know, is a fucking wild lady. She's got a lot of hats, but—and I don't mean that as a metaphor. Google she Amy Sherman-Palladino. You know, she
0: has so many hats. Oh, I saw her in person for <laughs> maybe the first time. Oh no, uh, I did not see her in person. I saw her as a person, like I saw—I <laughs> saw her on television uh, uh, uh. for the first time when she accepted Bloodheads? an award oh. on, um, um, the Golden Globes because the marvelous Miss nasal won yeah. Best Comedy. And when she went to accept, I was like, that's her. That's who made all this stuff? Yeah, she's wild. She yeah. is wild because she was wearing some crazy shit. And she, like, thanked her weird husband. But she was, like, wearing a weird hat. And he looked weird, too. Yeah. I. That was my first, like... Experience
1: with her this as a person. This is the best description of Amy sherman <laughs> you know, I've literally ever heard in my whole life. That was my first impression. She's just a weird lady with a weird husband who make weird shit together. <laughs> what's, okay, this is so feeding back into fan fiction. Uh-huh. What's really funny is that if you talk to like a diehard Gilmore Girls fan, they will tell you that the seventh season doesn't count because, quote, it is like fan fiction. That I've heard that from so many people. And the reason. I was reason, going to
0: bring that up when you said the thing God. about the sixth season.
1: Okay, so, leading up until, like, um, uh, Gilmore Girls, like, I think, bounced around at some point. I didn't watch it, it, was on the air, and I think I'm getting this from Lauren Graham's book, but it was on the WB, and then the WB was over, and I think at some point it was on, like, the CW or UPN or something. Yeah,
0: I wanted even I wanted to say that it was always on, like...
1: What well, the time it was like Fox Family or ABC Family? Oh, maybe, but maybe well, that was
0: like in... ABC
1: Family was when it was in syndication. Gotcha, that's when I it. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But I think it like something happened. There was a lot of uh, there was a lot of like turbulence near the end because mm-hmm. every season they were like not sure if they were going to do it again. Yeah. So then I think Amy Sherman-Palladino and David Sherman-Palladino decided that they didn't want to do the show unless they had a certain amount of money after the sixth season. So all of the cast came back but they didn't they Mm -hmm. had different writers and so Lauren Graham in her audiobook is literally like, I don't remember a lot of what happened when we had to do the revival. Um, some of the assistants had to remind me that I was ever married to Christopher in the show. I was like, No, I wasn't Ooh, married to Christopher. Whoa. That's the whole. P- I never married my husband because I had Rory out of wedlock. And the like really zealous, like overzealous assistants were like, No, no, no. Like we watched Gilmore Girls, and like in the sixth season, you married Christopher. She's like, No way. Or like in the seventh season. Seventh, yeah. Like toward the ends when, when things got a little crazy. And the funniest bit of trivia that is actually very sad is that um, when the seventh season, the last episode, you might know this because I feel like it's a very popular piece of Gilmore Girls trivia. But when they filmed the last episode, um, none of the cast knew that it was the last episode because they thought if they told the cast, they wouldn't be able to get through the episode without crying. Damn. So they didn't tell them until it was over. And then they were like, oh, yeah, we're not renewing the show. It's over damn and they were all like oh and that like is something that lauren graham talks about in the book because like when they went to do the revival it was very upsetting because like they were glad to they have had that time been back essentially emotionally manipulated yes <laughs> and there was like i think 10 years between when it ended and when they did the revival and um Edmund Herman, Ed, Ed, Edmund Herman, who plays the grandfather, had passed away. Mm-hmm. Like, and he was like a large part of the show, and so like, they they even wrote that into the plot of the revival that like Emily has to deal with the death of her husband, and like, gotcha. um, yeah, and so it's just really interesting. That is so, so. odd. I I have a weird. <laughs> <laughs> Go on.
0: <laughs> I have a weird story. When I was little, uh, I did community theater and so did my dad. He yeah. still does it. Um, That's awesome. and it's super awesome. And I think like he looks to me sometimes as like an inspiration to continue to do musical theater or uh community and musical theater, which I think is like so amazing and yeah. such a like, uh, like role reversal from when I was little. And, uh, and I know he gets, like, really pumped to talk to me about shows that he does. But I remember uh, when I was little, he was in a production of a play of M.A.S.H. And he played Hawkeye, which is the uh, Alan uh, Alda character. Yes. And the woman who played Hot Lips Houlihan was, uh, like, friend of our families. I had, like, developed a relationship with this woman. Um And at the end of the play, she leaves uh, the MASH unit. And that's like the finale is her leaving and saying goodbye to everyone. And after the production of MASH she did, or we did, she moved away from our hometown. And she knew that she was moving before (gasps) the last show. So on the last night of the show, (laughs) I'm like getting chills thinking about it. Uh, I was watching and I knew she was leaving and like the cast knew she was leaving and everyone got so genuinely choked up that it was like some of the best acting I had ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> because they were literally crying. And I, I think, probably cried because I was just like, oh, you understood. She is leaving. Yeah, This is so sad. And it was like one of the first times that I had like broken that barrier yeah. between like fiction and, and reality. And I think about it all the time now. And to me... Why wouldn't you tell your cast that their show was ending
1: if you were trying to like get some Real emotion, emotion out of them? Because I think that they thought... Because the, the last episode has no, like, it's one of those. That is another uh, thing that I find fascinating. That it doesn't in actually close it off. Where they, they do a, it could be, it could not be. They mm-hmm. did that with Felicity in, like, the third season. There was an episode where, it, like, could be the end, could be not, because it ended with all of them literally arm in arm walking down the street. And it was like, oh, like, all the friends. Yeah. You know? But then it, like, went on, oh my God. And also, that's a weird thing was that it was produced by J.J. Abrams. Right. I don't know if I, like, mentioned that. No. So the last season of Felicity is all um, sci fi. What? It's like, yeah, I don't know if I brought. It's lit. It started as like, uh, like a teen drama, like about college. But then the last, uh, ep, or the last season is basically because it was a love triangle, and so it ended in the third season. They only did it for four seasons, but the third season ended with her being with Noel, I think. And then there's like a love potion that creates an opportunity for her to be with the other one. And so the entire last season is her being with the other one because fans were so upset. So this is an So this is an aspect that's similar to like the fan input. Fans were so upset about her being with Noel that they wrote into the to WB and were like, no, like it needs to be Ben, she needs to be with Ben. And so they made the last she wakes up, it's like Twilight Zone. She wakes up in the fourth season and she's with Ben. And he's like, he's like, Yeah, I like I love you and we're together. And she's like, What? And then she has to figure out, she's go back and like figure out like, how did I break up with no without like none
0: of the rest of the show has ever really been like
1: sci-fi they had one episode that was like a twilight zone uh themed one that had to do with the love potion as well because her roommate is wiccan and so that's like kind of a fun jokey element but then in the it was jj abrams bullshit like in the fourth season it was just like why don't we just like pretend that it was like kind of a little switcheroo yeah remember how we talked about love potions before yes yeah Man. And it was all, she's just like, I don't understand this world I'm in. That is Everything's the same except I'm in love with this other guy. Ridiculous. Yeah, because there was no other, the tone of the show was very self-serious until yeah. the fourth season. And they were just like, I think we're getting canceled. So let's just let's have fun. Let's go for Let's just like do a thing that the fans would like. Yeah. Because we're not going to get renewed. The network hates us. We don't have the ratings. Like, let's just do it. That's like Man. another interesting aspect of how ratings shaped television so mm-hmm. much that now I think... I have no idea, but I just don't think that ne- does Netflix even participate in the Nielsen system? Like, no, mm-hmm. yeah, no, they they have not at they all. have
0: like their own a uh, very enigmatic uh, analytic system. Interesting. Um, and it's like why they have, you know, four to five original shows that are just like basically Game of Thrones with a different <laughs> shirt on. Like It's just <laughs> like uh, my buddy Brian Dove tweeted about this the other day and it was just like, hey Netflix, do you have any shows that are like young, hot guys whose dads are in power but get killed somehow and then they have to avenge their <laughs> father's deaths but also there's like weird sex and uh, sexual dynamics in it. And and then he just had like four different posters for Netflix shows <laughs> that all that applied to all of them. And it really that's like what their model is now is just like taking a popular concept and concept making the gen, and like
1: the throwing version.
0: shows at it. Yeah.
1: Well, that's really interesting because I just recently read an article that was about cannibalism on Netflix and how they release content so frequently that they literally cannibalize their own shows. Like when they released, what was the sci-fi show that just came out? That was like Carbon Arc or <sighs> Altered something? Altered Carbon. Altered Carbon. Carbon Arc. <laughs> I don't know.
0: Yeah, my fiance watched it and it's one of the shows that uh, led me into that rant about like future shows that are just like dark and rainy really? and there's weird sex in them. Yeah,
1: because yeah, I didn't want to see that at all, but people have been really happy about it. Um oh my gosh uh how problematic is it that they released um the end of the fucking world the show about the <sighs> teen who all i know murders? is the
0: concept of that show yeah and yeah it's real wild
1: we started watching the first episode because we were like because we before the parkland thing happened we yeah. were just like me and my partner were just like oh this looks kind of interesting in like a like almost like a like a serious skins i don't know like it could be mm-hmm. kind of edgy and cool mm-hmm. We started watching it. We got like maybe thirty minutes in, and we were like, "This is gross." Like, wow, yeah, it was really, really creepy. Yeah, for for I think the they pushed it down on on like it's it was on the homepage for a long time, and then yeah. I think they got rid of it because they were like, "This is not the time." Yeah. to be promoting. A I mean, I think kid. that
0: it's really problematic to
1: write a show like Thirteen Reasons Why. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> well, thank God everybody stopped talking about that. Yeah,
0: it seems like it. It does seem like it came and went
1: pretty quickly, which is good. Yeah. I heard, though, that they might make a second season. I wouldn't be surprised. In, like 26 was reasons
0: was popular enough. <laughs> That's a shitty joke. Just like a longer list? I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that
1: show's bad. Um, <laughs> Glow
0: was good, though, right? Uh, I liked it, but man, you know, another show where you
1: can talk about a lot of problematic shit. Okay, but my argument is that they were aware and they like tr- they do the thing I where it's, so too. it's placed and then they're like, "That's fucked up." I think so too. So I think I, they I were commenting you. on the original wrestling show. Yeah, which I because at first when I was watching that I was like, "Oh fuck, I got to stop watching this," and then I like went a little longer and I was like, "Oh, this is like kind of satirical." Yeah, self-aware. I
0: I agree with you. I actually I think and I think they try to do a lot of work on the subject and like comment on it a lot, which I think is all you can really ask Uh, from a show. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's a, that's a show where they're it's a period, but they're like, they're at least like, they're not accepting it as yeah.
0: They're, they're not accepting it as the reality of the period. They're trying to tackle it and question whether it's, you know, actually how people felt or whatever. Yeah. Right. I think that it, if nothing else, is trying and, like, yeah, <laughs> and trying yeah. to make the conversation about that instead of just being like, "Yeah, we know there's some racist stuff, but that's how the '80s were." <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, because that's a
1: bizarre theme,
0: right? Um, but uh, is there anything surrounding this conversation that you'd be absolutely remiss not to mention that we haven't? Oh, yeah, that's a
1: great question. Well, I think it's interesting that like this was kind of the basis for my interest and in, in an understanding of creative universes and worlds. And um growing up, this was how I got into the idea of writing. This was how I got into plays, how I it kind of created this um voraciousness for understanding a universe or understanding like a time and place that the I mean I that the universe of the show happens in. Um, But I think, I mean, it just created an interest in me that um, never really died. And that's why now I, like, I mean, it also, uh, I consumed a lot of stupid pop culture that meant nothing. (laughs) But now I have a podcast where I talk about, like, versions of stupid pop culture that I made up. So, I mean, who won here, you know? I just think it's funny. Like, I, I think back to like all the shit that I was really interested in when I was like 12 and 13 and 14 and 15 and my mom and my brother would like make fun of me because they were not as interested or cared did not care as much as I did about yeah, this world. That they consumed it in completely different, completely ways. different ways like they could watch an episode of a show and then not watch it again for like a year and be totally fine whereas like I got in trouble because we were watching a TV show as like a group as a family um, we would watch one episode together and then that night I would watch five more episodes because I was like I can't stop and the only thing that will keep me from stopping is to fall asleep sleep. Like my mom at one point got really seriously upset with me because one day she came home and I think this was during the summer. Um, I had been waking up. So ABC Family was airing Gilmore Girls at 11 o'clock every single day. But what what they would do is they would air an episode at 11. Then they would air the same episode at 3.30 or 4.00. And so what I would do is I would watch the episode. Sometimes I would stay awake until 11 and watch the episode and then I would fall asleep and then wake up right at 3 to watch the episode again. I mean, I was seriously wow. like kind of obsessed. Yeah, I mean it was it was super unhealthy, but I remember my mom getting really upset with me about that. But I just really took in these like worlds and was like they were an escape from, I mean, if I'm thinking about it, they were an escape from, like, being shit on at school for being, like, obviously gay or, like, smart or, like, a little different or whatever. Because I grew up in the South. And so, I mean.
0: <laughs> All of these things were things that people could ridicule.
1: They were like, fuck you. You're so smart. No, nah. I mean, it's I just. I mean.
0: I relate to that on some level.
1: <laughs> it's kind of fucked up yeah. that I even said that, but like No, I, I totally get it.
0: Uh, and that that was, you know, what I was trying to comment on. I was like, oh yeah,
1: I totally relate to that. I was smart in this. I was as smart as, as, well. as shit. Yeah. yeah. No, like I think there just was I just had different interests and I don't think I understood or could tap into the interests of my peers like I didn't get why they'd want to go to sporting events I didn't get why they cared about certain like and it's not that any of that was lesser because now I love watching sports I'm interested in celebrity gossip like but at the time it was like this thing that I couldn't unlock but I could unlock the fictional world if I studied it long enough Yeah, I could figure out what those people were about and wanted and it was so like gratifying to be like I get it I'm on the inside here so I think that. That's partially why I like submerged myself in these creative worlds was because I couldn't figure out. And now I feel like it's a it's weird, but I feel like I have like somewhat of an emotional IQ based on the fact that I did that. I wouldn't be surprised at all. Like that makes sense to me, especially with how.
0: Much, you know, time and energy and thought yeah. goes into creating those relationships in the first place and then unpacking them yeah. <laughs> as, as a viewer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Makes sense. I, I think that's a, a perfect uh, segue into the final question. You kind of already commented on this uh, to a certain extent. <laughs> but how do you feel like your love of the WB and, and these shows and their worlds has influenced you creatively and your life in general?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, like everything about what I do now is based around this kind of like veracity and interest and appetite for um, these creative worlds. So I have a podcast um, that's through Machine Culture. It's, I'm going to plug, I'm going to shamelessly plug. Please. Um, It's called Sell Me a Pup. I I co host with Brandon Kirkman. And the concept of the show is that we bring comics and improvisers on and we have them um, review pop culture that Brandon and I make up on the spot or like, yeah, we, we, we make them review something in that moment as if it is real that they've never heard of before. Yeah, And I totally do that. And I, I do it based on tropes that I gathered from watching these shows or like, yeah. And so I think it gave me this vernacular for like the language of pop culture because some, so, like in marketing, they call it archetypes. Um, have you heard of The Power of Myth by Joseph Campbell? Yeah. So that's like the intellectual way to discuss it. But like in marketing, they call it archetypes and they never talk about that. Sorry, I have a problem with how that works. But that's basically really there's funny. like these different archetypes of like the jester, like the the, cl- the clown, the the sage, like these different characters, the rebel. And so certain brands will try to like shape their marketing around these things, which is so funny and like basic um, to yes. me. Yes, <laughs> yeah, sure. But uh, I think there is a language around which pop culture... Um, exists and can be spoken of and like if you understand the structure of like You've watched a certain number of shows, you understand how they're supposed to work and how certain characters are supposed to exist yes. and who's supposed to do what, yeah, in a certain way. I mean, it you know they reshape and change and like the environment is always different, but it, like there's always going to be sort of this like coming of age narrative for a coming of age teen drama right. or like so that kind of thing I ingested and it just like pulsates within me and just exists as I write anything <laughs> and has led to what I do for a living. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. it's uh, that's even crazier. Like, Like, I mean, I used to, I mean, not that I like write fan fiction for a living, but the fact that I spent so much time when I was in like the seventh and eighth grade writing Harry Potter fan fiction and like developing a voice is why I am a content specialist and why my interest professionally is in becoming like a content specialist or like a UX designer to create an experience that I had. (laughs) So I think that is so cool
0: and it's so... It's so funny to me that we now have, and not to say that there hasn't been in the past. It just—it's very interesting to me that that generationally that happens. You yeah. know, it's like, what was the thing <laughs> that you, you know, yeah. did your family really get into the Waltons as a kid, <laughs> and that made Amy Sherman Palladino want to make Gilmore Girls? You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. like uh, It it may very well be like it's, uh, it's so cool to me to think that like artists are uh inspiring others artists in in totally new ways
1: i love listening to interviews where um i think i think where uh someone is asked about like what did you if you're a musician what did you listen to when you were a kid if Mm -hmm. you're if you're making a tv show what kind of tv shows did you watch what movies did you watch whatever i think i find that so fascinating because it is this like It's really optimistic, but it's interesting to think about the idea that like whatever you're making is helping. Okay, I actually want to talk about this for one second. It's very dumb, but do you know who Chris Crocker is? Mm -mm. He's not dumb, I'm dumb. But okay, so Chris Crocker is the guy who originated the um, Leave Britney Alone video. Ha, yes. So Chris Crocker has a Facebook page and a big old social media presence, and recently I got into watching his videos because they started showing up on my timeline because he's gay, I'm gay, I mean, come on. Gotcha. Um, You know how the algorithm works. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, it shows me stuff about, like, the movie Brave and Pippi Longstocking. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Which is not part of your identity, I can tell. <laughs> that is incredible. There is a whole uh, episode of Gilmore Girls where they just watch Pippi Longstocking and make fun of it and, like, talk about how obsessed with it they are. So, uh, yeah, I was just trying to think,
0: like, what are the things that reflect me in culture? Uh, Incredible. I think that's it
1: um, <laughs> so Chris Crocker originated this video and I just recently have been watching his videos and he does all these like characters and like jokes and memes and that sort of thing but he did a video recently that was like just so you guys know like up front this is a serious video I want to talk about like why I do this one it's for money it's because I get paid by advertisers Good for him. and he was like I don't have a GED because when I was a teenager I made a video called "Leave Britney Alone." And I dropped out of school and I went to L.A. and I recorded a um, reality TV show with me in it that never really went anywhere. Wow. But so I don't have a high school education. I can't have a real job. Um, so first of all, that's why I do this because I have to make money and I have to feed my family, my don't. mom and my my mima and stuff. Wow. So that was like one part of it. And then he was like, you know, the second part of it is like, I grew up watching these characters who would get in front of the camera and be very, like, extra and, like, confident. And it made me feel like, oh, my gosh, I can do this. I'm confident. So when I do these crazy characters, like, on Facebook or Instagram or whatever, um, it's because I'm hoping to inspire other people. Because he's, like, from Tennessee. Like, he's, like, a little southern gay kid. And he's like, I'm hoping to inspire other people. And also, when I made Leave Britney Alone... That was one of many videos I made on MySpace that were getting like a little bit of traction, but that one of course went viral. Yeah. And can you imagine how it feels to have been making videos that were comedy, that were jokes, and then to make one video that was actually serious, that was actually asking people to take me seriously. And everybody laughed. So this is my chance to take that back and to reclaim my ability. You're laughing because I'm acting and I've chosen to make you laugh. And I was like so blown away by this. I think everyone should go follow Chris Crocker. This is a plug for Chris Crocker. Um, I love his videos. And I was like, that's amazing because isn't that all that anyone's doing? (laughs) Like We're just trying to reclaim the experience of hurt as an act of like
0: creation. Yeah, It's a popular uh, Mark Marin thing to pull is that I think it was like Harry Shearer who said that on his show is like I became a comedian to control why people were laughing at me Yeah, and I definitely feel uh, closer to what you expressed in the, like, I want to do this because I want to help other people feel better about their existence. Yeah. So like, yeah. yeah. It seems like, a, 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 from my perspective, it seems like a pretty, like, pretty okay pure good to place yeah. to be coming from. <laughs> it's pretty okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm biased as hell because it's yeah. what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's very cool to hear that from your perspective as well. Thank you so much for doing this.
1: Thanks for bringing me on. This was really fun. It's
0: been a real joy. I love you, and I mean that.
1: <laughs> I love you, too. This was really great. And I'm feeling-
0: This has been a production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash to donate today. And go to www.nerdlogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am grabbot23548X.